0: Hi, you, handsome. Come to join the party. Hey, party people! Welcome to the Patrama party, where we like to grind up on the groin of the saddest moments of our lives. So, grab your what? Your '90s hip hop mix. Your iridescent eyeshadow. And uh, let's get this party started. I'm your host, Remy Ramirez. And today we're talking about romantic rejection, which everyone experiences at one time or another. And like most people, I've been on both sides of it, and both sides have sent me into absolute panic. So that's fun because basically, unless you fall in love with someone who's also in love with you, that means that dating is just absolute tyranny, a petulant tyrant with his shoe jammed in the face of your fragile hope that one day you might find your person. To help us navigate this topic, I'm so excited to welcome Jasmine Eddy onto the pod. Hi, Jasmine. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Hi, Remy. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here today.
0: Yay. Well, I could not be more stoked to unpack this with you, but before we jump in, tell me about your astrology. Do you know your sun, moon, and rising signs?
1: I do. So I'm an Aries sun, Aquarius moon, and Leo rising.
0: Ooh, that is so fun. Aries and Leo together. And you know, what's so interesting is the last three therapists I've had on have had Aquarius in their charts in their top three.
1: Now that's fascinating.
0: I know. Wow. I know because I don't normally think of, of Aquarius in that context, but I can see like Aquarius has a very, um, like it wants to know things. And Mm -hmm. I think, I think maybe that, can you feel that Aquarius in your chart come through?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Like the super curious inquisitive side, like, I think, um, like as a therapist, that's one of the, one of the, the perks, I guess, is to like really dig deep with people and like, um, you know, put the puzzle pieces together and things like that. Like, that's really fun.
0: Ooh, yeah, Uh, that's exactly what Aquarius loves to do is put those puzzle pieces together. Yeah, cool. Okay, well, I'm going to dive into my experience with this particular trauma. Jasmine, feel free to jump in at any point with just like OMGs or like hell knows or, you know, like spells that we could maybe cast to cure all our romantic rejection woes or just... (laughs) Oh, you're like, Oh, I have one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Or if you want just totally feel free to just like sit back and like slap a mask on, you know, moisturize, whatever feels good to you. And then at the end, I'll turn some questions over to you. How does that sound?
1: Sounds perfect.
0: Okay, cool. Awesome. So whenever possible, I like to start with a little trauma light. So not like the full course trauma, but the little shrimp on the tray trauma, Um, And also I have to reach way back because as a result of this pandemic, I haven't dated in like 10,000 years. So this, this goes back a few (laughs) years. So pre pandemic, I went to a bar for karaoke and this cute dude who worked there was flirting with me super hard. He would like walk by me and start dancing with me. He would catch my eye from across the room and smile at me. He like fetched me water without me asking for it. He was just like putting it on thick. And I was like, okay, cool. Love this for me. So I gave Duder my number and he took me out to dinner the next week. We had a great time. We went back to his house and had sex. He was sweet and lovely and creative and smart killer in bed, a really good kisser. And then we hung out a second time. He took me to a wine bar. We walked around downtown, went into vintage shops. He took me to a secret spot where he liked to watch the sunset. We cuddled, we held hands, watched the sun go down and like talk shit about the patriarchy, which is, you know, yes, yeah Like the big, yes, thank you. The biggest turn on, super romantic. And then of course we went back to his house and had sex again, made soup afterwards, like you do he walked me out to my car, gave me this long hug. Everything was sweet and great. And I, I was like about it. I mean, I wasn't like trying to marry him or anything, but you know, I definitely was interested and excited. So the next night after that second date, it was karaoke night at the bar again, where he worked. My friend and I drove over there, like we did every single weekend. And when we got there, The bar was empty randomly, which like never happened. So we go in, grab our drinks and sit down in this big empty AF bar and homeboy walks right by us. Not once, not twice, but three times. And he makes eye contact with my friend and nods at her, but doesn't acknowledge me at all. I'm sitting directly adjacent to this woman and there's no one in the bar. And by the way. He and I had been having sex exactly 24 hours before that moment. Like, what are you wow. talking about? Yeah. Wow. Thank oh, you. No.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, <I'm> sorry. <laughs> Thank
0: you. So a little later, I got up to go to the bathroom and I bumped into him and we hugged and I was like, oh, so you're going to walk right past me and not say hi, huh? Like basically trying to kind of give him an opportunity to be like, oh shit, sorry or whatever. No, he fucking shrugged. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. And like, I, w- I was like, what is this? Is, what, what is this high school bullshit? So obviously I was just like, yeah, I'm not having this. So the next day I sent him a text and was just like, yo, your behavior was unacceptable and misogynistic, frankly, and I want nothing to do with this. And I hope clarifying this helps you be a better dude with the women you date in the future. And I ended it with take good care because I'm nice. And this fucking walking taint texts me back and says, Sorry, I'm just cold like that. And then copies and pastes the entire lyrics to Ice Ice Baby. Like, fucking opened wow. up, yes, opened up Safari on his phone, typed in lyrics.com or whatever the fuck, found Ice Ice Baby, hit copy. Like, who, who does that? You know? Wow. Yeah, just so Mm -hmm. much. Wow. Mm -hmm. So much. Wow. So a huge fail that made me feel really stupid for sleeping with him and also just like fucking bummed out on dating in general. But in terms of a serious trauma plus version of romantic rejection that comes with like the salad and the steak and the dessert, I've been on both sides of it, like I said, and both are super painful for me. There is nothing cool or fun or ego boosting for me about rejecting someone else. In fact, I go into this like empath trauma response when I know I have to tell someone that I don't return their feelings. And I've realized it's one reason I avoid dating. Like that's how much I hate it. And I know that's in part because rejection is such a deep wound for me that goes all the way back to my infanthood. So when I have to tell someone I don't return their feelings, I basically re-experience the trauma of moments where people have not returned my feelings and it overwhelms me. Um, Yeah. In terms Um, you, have you actually, that's a good, I have, well, maybe I'll say this for the end, but like, just briefly, like, have you had people experience that too, where they hate rejecting others so much?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like definitely for sure. And it is usually that because they understand what it's like to be on the other side of it. Yeah. Um, And they're like, still, you know, they're still walking with, um, that like that wound.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Shit. Well, that's definitely me. Um, and here's an example that I like to draw on because it was a moment in time when I was like, okay, there's something really up with me and I need to work on it. So this was probably eight years ago or so I was in my early thirties and I'd been dating a guy who I met in Vegas at a bachelorette party (laughs) Uh, At the time we were both living in LA. So when we got back, we kind of just like kept the party going. He was hot. He was an incredible kisser, but I didn't think he was very smart or interesting. He like spent all of his time at the gym, which I wasn't into. And so in my mind, I was like, cool. I'm just dating this guy for fun. It's chill. No big deal. But the more I slept with him, the harder it was for me to feel relaxed about it. And about a month or maybe two months into us hanging out, which by the way, we never really went on dates. We mostly just hooked up, but maybe two months into it, I went to Brazil with a friend of mine and was out of town for like 10 days. And when I got back, I texted him right away, like as soon as I got home. And four hours later, he hadn't texted me back. And I had a full on meltdown on my floor, sobbing uncontrollably. And in that moment, there were two parts of me. There was the part of me that felt like I was being torn apart, like my world is torn apart. And then there was another part of me that was looking down on myself, sobbing on the floor. And that part of me was like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, this is crazy. You don't even like this guy. So when I look back and think about what was happening there through the lens of therapy, first of all. I know now that those responses have nothing to do with the men I'm dating in the moment. Even if I'm really into a guy, even if I like him and he isn't feeling the same way about me, that intense gut-wrenching reaction I have is still not about him. And that's because I've learned that I have anxious attachment style. So just briefly for people who aren't familiar, all the attachment styles are created when you're just a wee baby thing and are dependent on how your parents or caretakers behaved with you. So the four attachment styles are secure attachment, where you just like feel safe about who you are and who everyone else is. Just like, okay, tight, must be nice. Anxious preoccupied. That's the party I'm having over here.
1: <laughs>
0: Fearful avoidance, which if I understand correctly is like um, you're avoidant, but it's because you really want connection and, it, and it's scary. Um, and then dismissive avoidant, which is basically ninety percent of the men I've dated, which is just like, like truly emotionally unavailable. Mm-hmm. Anxious attachment happens when your parents were inconsistent with you. So one minute you cried and they fed you and took care of you. The next they screamed at you. The next time, like they ignored you. And by the way, this is not to blame parents. Parents who were abused often become abusive, even if they don't, you know, realize it. So as an adult. Anxious attachment is characterized by really wanting connection, but also believing that it will be taken away at any second. So you both really, really want love and subconsciously believe that love can't be trusted and is in scarce or unpredictable supply. And it's almost always wrapped up with codependence and insecurity, believing you're disposable, believing you're not good enough to be loved, believing other people get to have love, but you don't to name a few of those. My core belief was that there was something deeply flawed about me that guys took one look at and were like, nope, not that girl. And the thing that I thought was wrong with me was that I felt so deeply and had such huge emotions around things that didn't even seem to phase other people. And by the way, this moment sobbing on the floor because I hadn't gotten a text back in four hours is a great example of that. And The belief attached to that was that because I had such big emotions, no one would ever want to be with me. And so I would be alone forever, just watching from the sidelines while everyone else fell in love. And that was the real core fear was being alone forever. Later, I realized that was why I was sobbing on the floor, not because of this duder, but because when I feel rejected romantically, it triggers a core belief that was created when I was just a little girl and my dad would like scream at me when I tried to sit in his lap or my mom would rage because I tripped over a phone cord or I was being ignored by my parents or trying to win their approval with some achievement. And then they would just totally not care about the achievement. Um, that one was more with my dad, but some to some degree with my mom also. But yeah, the real rejection happened with my parents when I was a child. And not only had I not tended to that wound, I didn't even know at the time, as I'm sobbing on the floor, that that was the root of the issue. So over and over again with these guys, I kept thinking my heartbreak was about them when actually it really had nothing to do with them. So that's the anxiety that was working underneath the surface for me. Everyone's attachment issues are going to look different. But one thing that's usually consistent with anxious attachment style is that because of the codependent aspect of it, people are either constantly in a series of really troubled relationships or they stay in one, like, you know, pretty fucked relationship forever. But I've actually been chronically single. And part of that, I think I actually don't know for sure, but I think is because I've been aware enough all this time to realize That I compulsively and repeatedly, and almost to the point of addiction, don't make great choices with men. But I haven't, up till the last couple of years, been aware enough to know that that's because when you have a core wound like this, you're subconsciously attracted to people who trigger your wound. So, why is that? Why do we do that? Why, if we're wounded about love, do we seek out people who re wound us? Well, I don't have all the answers there, but what I have learned through therapy is that it's because your subconscious wants you to heal the wound, not because it wants you to, you know, get fucked over and over again by emotionally unavailable, or as my therapist recently pointed out, emotionally inconsistent people. Those are the guys I go for dudes who are super hot and cold. It's not because of that, but because your subconscious wants you to heal. So What we often do is get involved with people who trigger those core wounds because they're treating us the way we were treated as kids. Like, you know, they're ignoring us. They're belittling us. They're giving us lots of attention and then withdrawing attention. Um, They're manipulating or whatever, whatever it is. And we get pulled in because subconsciously we think, oh, I'm going to change the story this time. I'm going to make this avoidant or inconsistent or narcissistic, whatever it is person realize how worthy and desirable and valuable I actually am. And then that will prove that I matter. So you look for someone who mistreats you in the way that you were originally mistreated in your family of origin, because if you partner with someone who's like your dad or your mom, but this time you get them to really love you. You think that then you can heal because it proves you're a worthy human. But the problem is these people are also traumatized and they're living out their traumatic core beliefs. And so you just go in loops where the same shit keeps happening with person after person. And you feel so rejected and unseen and unwanted because the way that you prove you're, value, you're valuable is not by getting an emotionally unavailable person to be into you, you know, because if, you're, if, that's, um, if that's what you're looking for, you're already giving your power away. But if you're walking into a romantic situation with a base level understanding that you matter already, that's how the loop gets interrupted. It just so happens that that's also not easy and requires a lot of work and commitment. My therapist recently told me that it's not like people with secure attachment never go on dates with emotionally avoidant or whatever inconsistent, narcissistic people. It's not that it's that people with secure attachment have an ability, an ability to say, Oh, I don't like the way you're treating me. I don't deserve this. So I'm not sticking around for it. And then they leave and can't get roped back in. They're just like, Oh, you ignoring me is not hot. That's a turnoff or you not making time for me is not what I'm looking for. So goodbye. Whereas those of us with anxious attachment go, Oh my God, no, don't go. I need you to stick around so I can prove that I'm important and worthy and lovable. And so we keep returning part of that to be fair. And I do feel like it's important to say this is also a result of dating in a culture that permits and encourages absolute shit behavior from men. Like, wow, sexual assault aside, which is obvious trauma. The bullshit is just truly in steady supply. Lying, cheating, ghosting, closet misogynists, narcissists. There was recently this whole viral thing on TikTok about West Elm Caleb, who's this dude in New York, who incidentally is a designer for West Elm. And he's ghosted and lied and lied to and manipulated so many women that all these women started posting about it on TikTok. And it's shocking the links that this guy went to and the number of women he messed with. And it's just part of our culture. And so is racism. And so is homophobia. And so is xenophobia and transphobia. And all of those play a role in dating and in traumatizing people in their experiences of romantic rejection. And also, by the way, it should be said, there are tons of women who are also causing trauma with the way they date, though I don't think it's necessarily cultural, but it, it definitely happens. And that's also trauma, right? Because if you're walking into the world of dating, already carrying the belief that love isn't safe or straight people aren't safe or white people aren't safe, or in my case, men are emotionally safe. And then you get years of proof that that's true. You know, it takes a lot of therapy to get on the other side of that. And for me, it's not just because of who those men are and how they're showing up, but also because of how intensely I react to their behavior which sometimes make me, makes me feel like I'm too sensitive for dating and that I should just give up on it completely. Ugh. Okay, so what has helped me in all of this? Well, okay, so first, if I feel like I'm drowning in the depths of eternal sadness, I can zoom out at least a little now and say to myself, okay, this isn't about, you know, insert Deuter name. And this isn't something a relationship would fix. This is about little itty bitty Remy who is still in there, who is still scared, who is still confused and whose emotional needs were not adequately met. The second thing sounds like lip service bullshit, but it's not. And it's actually been really helpful for me. And that's being gentle with myself because what my internal dialogue used to sound like was. It was like, you're so fucked up. You're too intense. You make a big deal out of shit. That doesn't matter. You're attracted to dudes who don't care about you because you're fucked up. You're pathetic because you need validation. You'll always be this way. And so you'll always be alone, which is just like not fucking helpful. You know, when you're in the throes of it. Now, if I feel triggered, I just put a hand on my heart and say, wow, fuck, this really hurts. And that's okay. This pain can be here. I don't have to try to force it out. And then I either take a bath and cry, or I call a friend who I know likes to cuddle because physical touch is super soothing for me, or I get in bed and watch New Girl, just like whatever I need to do to take care of myself. And another thing I've learned to do more recently that's really helped is to get clear on what I want from the beginning when I'm dating and being clear about it when issues arise with the other person. So, what I used to do was shapeshift. And this was something that came up in the codependence episode. So if I was interested in a guy who was acting aloof or detached, I would try to match his level of engagement as like a defense mechanism to just be like, oh, you don't care about me. Well, I don't care about you either. Now I'm a lot better about being like, hey, it feels like we're not on the same page. Can we have a conversation about what we both want? That way- you create space for your authentic emotions and you validate yourself. And if the other person doesn't meet you or doesn't have time for the combo or whatever, you can just move on. And yeah, maybe that's a disappointment, but it's also a form of self-love because you're not changing who you are to try to gain someone else's acceptance. And the last thing I'll say, this is something I've started doing with my therapist. And that is <clears throat> having actual conversations with my inner child like visualizing myself at three and four years old. And you would be really surprised um, what happens. Like when, if something has come up for me, if I'm really upset about something, I'll think, okay, how old is this voice inside me? And I'll close my eyes and I can see myself appear. And it's often around like three, four. And she'll just start talking to me. She'll tell me what's up. She'll be like, I'm, I'm so sad and I'm so alone and I, I just want to sit in my dad's lap and I just want, you know, I don't understand and she's sweet and she's, you know, emotional and I start really listening to what she tells me and then in my mind, I will start responding to her and hugging her and saying like, yeah, this really sucks and yeah, you deserve to be hugged and loved and seen and appreciated and celebrated. And then it's like, she can calm down inside me. And then I calm down because she is part of me. So yeah, um, that's been huge for me too. Okay. That's the tea on my romantic rejection front. Jasmine, how are
1: you doing over there? I'm doing, I'm like, I'm resonating so much with what you're, what you've been sharing. Like, thank you for your stories and yeah, I'm just like really, oh, yeah, I'm feeling a lot of what you, what you shared. So, um, I'm good over here. Okay. Awesome. Excited. Yeah.
0: yeah. Oh my God. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm glad that this is resonating because I'm so excited to jump into some of these questions with you. So here's my first one. Can you talk about the relationship between shame and romantic rejection?
1: Yes, yeah. So I would say, like, as humans, we're kind of hardwired to avoid rejection. Uh, Like, it was really dangerous for, like, our ancestors and even today to be, like, rejected or to face any sort of social exclusion. So, um, like, that's just something we're actively trying to avoid. And I feel like one of the functions of shame is to, like, keep us in line with societal Mm. norms. Mm. Um, So... Yeah, I think they kind of go hand in hand. So when it comes to romantic rejection, I think what happens is like we kind of um, we can in- internalize it and the message kind of becomes I'm messed up or I'm not enough, which is why I was rejected. Mm. Um, and society, I think, is reinforcing that message as well. So like, you know, the message to people who are single is like, if you're single, there must be something wrong with you. Mm. Um, and that shame kind of sets in. Mm. And So you're thinking, how, yeah, how do I need to change? How do I need to make myself better? in order for this to work.
0: Oh, that is so interesting. Right. So we're basically like, um, right. It has, so it's, it's different from what I was talking about, but it, it has the same pattern. It's like this individual experience actually is a reflection of a much bigger issue. And what you're saying is that it's like, I'm not desired within the society. For some reason, there's something wrong with me on like a social level. And that's why I'm being rejected.
1: Right. So like, I'm taking like that idea and like, it, I think it shows up in like a lot of forms of rejection. So when you get to the romantic stuff, it's like a very, it's like a very, very personal mm-hmm. um, rejection of self, but I think it's rooted in like, our just like engineering as people. Right.
0: Yeah. And I know like, um, I've talked w- with my therapist about how, when you were talking about, um, I can't remember if you said this exactly, but that, that we, oh, I think you said ancestors because, you know, originally thousands of years ago or not even that long, we lived tribally, right? Like we lived in these um, interdependent groups and if, and that was how we survived, right? Like yeah, uh, so-and-so over here gets the meat, so-and-so over here you know, makes the pottery. This person over here, um, picks berries. These people take care of children, you know, like all of the things. And then we have a shaman and all the things. And if you were cast out of the group, then, uh, (laughs) you were fucked. You're about to get eaten by a fucking Panther or whatever. So that it's hardwired into our brains to feel like, um, rejection equals death. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or danger. Yeah, for sure. And so like, well, like it's probably not on that scale today, like in most instances, um, I think it's just, it's a kind of a vein that runs through. And so with romantic rejection, I can totally see that being, um, especially when you add the shame piece in there, like it's, I think they're part of the same system that's rooted in something like really, really old.
0: Yes. Right. Yeah. Like it's in our DNA. <sighs> yeah. Well, um, I talked a lot about anxious attachment style and the role it's played in feeling rejected in dating, but I don't know a ton about how the other attachment styles experience romantic rejection, and I know that like you had mentioned that's not your specialty necessarily or what or your go-to in your therapy practice, but I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about um, like how the different um attachment styles like interact with rejection in dating
1: yeah so for sure regardless of your uh, attachment style like romantic rejection rejection sucks (laughs) it's awful I think um what really what people with secure attachments have going for them is I feel like they're less likely to like create or to dwell in narratives around the rejection right um so like they can be all in the feels about it um and like really let themselves like you know, feel the pain of it, but like, they're going to brush it off and keep moving. And they're not going to tell themselves that it's inherently a problem with them.
0: Mm. Right. Right. Um, Oh, so so
1: nice. Yeah. That's something (laughs) that they have going for them. And then folks with like avoidant attachments, um, I think just generally, because I know there are like some subsets or like, um, yeah, subtypes of that. Like typically like they're, they're not putting themselves out there as often as some other folks would, would, because it's a hard thing to do. But when they do face romantic rejection, I think they're, they're definitely not sitting in those feelings, right? They're going to distract themselves Mm. with like work or hobbies, whatever gives them comfort. Um, And I think they're probably more likely to think, well, you know, well, it wouldn't have worked out anyway, Mm. or dating isn't worth it. So I don't know why I bothered. I won't do that again. So it's like, yeah, really not facing. um, And
0: I, you know, what's interesting is I definitely think in my personal experience, a lot of the guys who I have dated have you have done a lot of distracting. Cause I, I do tend to, or in the past, I have attracted a lot of avoidant um, guys romantically and like they, it's either like they work all the time or they like uh, sit around playing video games or like whatever it is, mm-hmm. these sort of like numbing out uh, tools, I guess.
1: Right. Sure. The the feelings piece. They're really not trying to, they're going to employ that same thing. That's those same strategies when it comes to like the herd of rejection.
0: Right. And right. And so then for us anxious folks, we just, (laughs) we just like writhe on the floor basically. Yeah. Yeah. And, (laughs) and feel like it's something personal to us. Mm -hmm. Okay. I've talked to a lot of people and I've experienced this too, who say that when they try to date someone who doesn't pay attention to them or who won't make time for them, you know, which is like a form of rejection, they start to feel addicted to this person and situation. And I'm, I'm just so curious, like, why is it that when someone rejects us, it often creates this like compulsion to return to that person over and over again?
1: Oh yeah absolutely. So it definitely is a kind of rejection um like and i I wonder in scenarios like that if the the person who's feeling that like addiction or the compulsive energy is um like is in a relationship with someone with a avoidant attachment style like there's that push pull thing happening there right um where like they're giving you love sometimes um or attention sometimes and like you get the signals that they're interested and then sometimes it's like they're not giving you the time of day that's legitimately very confusing right. um, so it makes sense that you're just like oh okay like well there, there, there's something there like I should figure out like how to make this more of a consistent thing right um and I think it kind of ties back into like the avoiding rejection piece that we were talking about earlier and also like maybe the little bits of shame like we need to prove to people like to ourselves and the other person that we're worthy of love and affection mm-hmm. um so we're trying to make it work. Otherwise, we'd have to start. We won't. We don't have to. But a lot of people will like start looking at themselves and going, "Okay, wait, what's wrong with me that this person can't stand to like be, you know, give me the the affection that I think I deserve?" Right. So that it kind of gets internalized. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think, um, like, we are seeking that seeking that validation outside of ourselves, which is not inherently a bad thing to do, but I feel like if we're working on our relationships with ourselves, it, it's easier to detach from those kinds of, um, like relational patterns, like interactions. So mm-hmm. if you're feeling more secure in yourself, you can recognize that that's something that's going on and take it less personally and, or decide to just walk away from it. So like, mm-hmm. it just gets you out of that, um, that
0: cycle, compulsion. Like cycle. That yeah. cycle. Thank you. Yeah. Someone once told me a friend, <laughs> a f- A girlfriend years ago told me, um, and she was someone who attracted lots of guys. Mm -hmm. And she told me, if you want to get a guy hooked on you, (laughs) <laughs> which this should have been a red flag right away. We our, <laughs> our friendship ended like a year later, but she was like if you want to get a guy hooked on you, give him lots of attention, like if you're at a party or whatever, and then just like walk away and stop Ooh. talking to him. And um it and like she was like it that is actually how you can create addiction or that's mm-hmm. like how addiction works. And I was like I remember at the time being like, womp, womp, like, I'm not cool. I don't know how to like make people be addicted to me, but you know, um, I think, and this was something that it was like, so interesting that my, um, therapist pointed this out to me when she was like, Remy, you're not attracted to emotionally unavailable people. You're attracted to emotionally inconsistent people, people mm. who do exactly what this friend had described to me years before where you give someone a lot of attention and then you take it away uh, because we love attention and um when it's taken away and i think particularly for people with anxious attachment style our, our first thought is what did i do wrong yeah. and that keeps us involved because we we have to prove that there's nothing wrong with us actually even though we believe that there is it's such a mind fuck so yeah to your point what you're talking about in terms of this um like giving attention and then taking it away and how that creates this like compulsion um yeah i think it's like that's absolutely true and it's i according to this friend <laughs> that's like how addiction is created um so that's just like a heads up too to notice That when people, and this is like for anyone listening, like notice if people you're dating have that pattern. And if so, what comes up for you, you know, when, when they do that. Absolutely. Um, okay. A friend recently told me that experiencing romantic rejection triggers a belief in her that sounds like I'm lame because I'm single. If someone wanted me, that would prove that I'm not lame. Like, how do we navigate those kinds of beliefs when we feel rejected?
1: Oh, yeah. So I just like want to offer like, I don't know, two like maybe practical things on that. So, I mean, for one, I would think about all of the cool single people, you know, they're (laughs) definitely not single because they're lame. So like, just hold on to that, um, that idea. I'm also a huge fan of like just giving yourself compliments and giving yourself evidence of your awesomeness. Like mm. um, yeah, like just being kind to yourself. So like the next time you're feeling terrible after being rejected, like name all the ways in which you're a badass. Like mm. have that ready on hand. Um, and if you're having trouble coming up with that, like think about what your loved ones would say or even just like flat out ask them, like, why am I awesome? Like, tell me the ways. Um, mm. and write that down so you have it next time. Um 'Cause I think one of the ways to combat this is just to like, you know, fight fight those negative beliefs and have stuff um ready. So you're not like in the moment scrambling to like come up with stuff. You could just look at a list, maybe. Yeah. And you're like, that's right. I'm like awesome at this, or I I'm a badass cook or something, you know, just something right. like that. Um, yeah. And that's that that could help. Um and then add to it every time it happens because you're bound to have grown by the next time. So sure. just keep a running list. Yeah. Uh, oh, I love that. Yeah. And also just do something that makes you feel really good about yourself. Like, I know I was mentioning like cooking, like if you're a really good cook, like, and you're like facing rejection, make yourself something nice, maybe invite some friends over make a party of it. Or just, you know, soak in your own awesomeness, just like let yourself shine, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like maybe a practical way to like work through um, some of the... that feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Oh, um, and this is, that's so I love all of those. And I want to say too, that I think people think that there's like, uh, or maybe this was just me, but when I was in my healing process, sometimes I would like poo poo ideas that were like, that actually made a lot of sense like yours. Mm -hmm. And I would be like, I would think that there had to be some like crazy. I I would have to have like an internal revolution and that's what needed to happen. And like, yeah, okay. Maybe sure. But these, these, um, these actions that you can take, you would really be surprised to, if, if you stick with them and you're consistent, you would really be surprised at the emotional impact that it has on you to just do yes. something like make a list and look at it, you know?
1: Yeah. And that's like, I love that you use revolution because um, I really like that metaphor. And like, like, just like as a reminder to people, like a lot of revolutions, like they don't just pop up overnight, right? Like it's right. a little build.
0: Right. And they require a lot of like smaller actions, yeah. you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, yeah, maybe part of that revolution is making a list of things that you're good at or like asking people you trust who love you, like what it is that they love about you, you know, that maybe things that you can't see or ha- or haven't thought about before. So absolutely, yeah, I love that. Um, okay, last question. How can we reframe how we think about rejection to make it feel not so just like, you know, terrifying when we encounter it so we're not just like shaken to our core?
1: Yeah, okay. Um, you know, I, I kind of like to think of rejection as part of an exercise, like part of an experience of like an exercise in vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. So we are, um, when we're working through romantic rejection, that means that you've opened yourself up to being vulnerable and that's hard shit. Like that's not easy to do. Right. So like celebrate yourself for that, right? Ooh, um,
0: oh my God, yeah. that is, ooh. I just felt like all of me just like have a shudder. Like that's ooh. that's true. It's so easy to forget that the fact that we're trying to create connections, especially if we've been wounded is, is a really big deal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Celebrate it. Like it's not easy. And so like, if you're feeling that rejection, like um, I'm going to like kind of move to like a, an exercise metaphor, uh-huh. like, and especially since like rejection um, can like register in the brain in the same places as like physical pain would come up. Like they're like kind of connected in that way. I would kind of mm-hmm. treat it like sore muscles from like working out too hard. Right. Uh-huh. So like, Be really gentle with yourself. Take that bath, rest, stretch your body out. And then just like recover and try again when you're feeling ready like that. Like it doesn't need to be a huge deal. Just treat it like you worked out a little too hard.
0: Wow, wait, okay, wait. You just like blew my mind with this um, physical pain. So wait, in the brain, the place where we register rejection is the same place we register physical pain.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of overlap for sure.
0: Whoa, whoa, wait. (laughs) Wow. So, I mean, that makes me think that it's like what we, that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with, um, that kind of like our ancestry and Mm -hmm. our tribal social structures and how getting kicked out could mean death. Um, it's, so even though that's not true today, it's actually still wired in our brains that way. Right. Wow. So no wonder it's so fucking terrifying. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, we, it's, it's, it's like, it's like we just got, um, you know, like hit by a truck or, you know, took a, a blow to the face or something.
1: Yeah. I think that's why I would, I would say like, just be gentle to yourself as if you were going through a physical pain, because like the rejection can definitely feel like that.
0: Wow. Wow. That's really good to know. So yeah. So if you feel super overwhelmed by a rejection, you can think of it as I just worked out too hard. That's a real, that's super cool. I love that. Cool. Jasmine, thank you so, so much for coming on to talk with me about this. I, Super appreciate it. And and if people want to connect with you out there in the world, how can they find you?
1: Yeah, so I think um the easiest way to do that would actually be uh my Instagram's so my handle is healing with jasmine and there's like periods. So it's healing dot jasmine um on Instagram. And then my personal therapy page is um Awesome.
0: Okay, cool. And if anyone wants to get a hold of me, I'm on Insta at Remy's R E M E E Z. And you can email me and I, I wholeheartedly encourage you to do so email me and let me know what topics you want to hear about or questions that you have or comments, anything. Um, that is patramaparty at gmail.com. There's no, the, I don't know why I didn't put it in there. (laughs) (laughs) Would have made sense. We didn't do it. So, um, Yeah pachamaparty at gmail.com. And until next time, baby, enjoy the party.